So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And we read, it says, Finally, be ye strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So throughout the entirety of our study of this letter, we remember that Paul has been giving us bold statements that affect how we do life how we look at life and how we interact with other people. This morning as we come to this verse in particular in chapter 6, we find yet again a bold exhortation for the church and a bold statement that is not theory. Remember, Paul is not addressing us in theoretical statements. He's, throughout this whole letter that he's been writing to the church in Ephesus in around AD 61, this is not a theory about how we might ought to do life or how we might ought to live or perhaps if you, if you come upon trouble or perhaps if you come along a hardship or perhaps if something doesn't go the way you plan for it to go, then this might be a good solution. No, he writes an exact statement saying this is how you are to do life. This is how you are to live. He gives us a doctrine and then he gives us practical statements on how we are to live. This is not meant to be bulletin board statements or postcard statements or bumper uh, sticker statements. These are meant to affect the way that we are to live. This is an exhortation to live as saints. Remember we see this in chapter 1. He was writing to the saints and remember the saints is not something that we lift up as holier than thou people but the word saints literally, literally means the set apart. So if we think about this, children of God, saints, set apart from the world means we're not living of the world but we're living as set apart from the world. We're set apart knowing that we are the redeemed, that we have been brought from death to life, not randomly, not by chance, not by accident, but by God, right? We are saints that have been set apart, adopted by God for a purpose. This is not a random act. We have a God who knows us, right? This isn't a random chance. It wasn't that we just got a bucket of water dumped on us and the water that touched us and those are the ones who redeemed and it was just a random happenstance thing that happened. No, God knows us. He calls us by name. Right? This, this is good stuff for us. He calls us by name. He hears us when we cry. A God who intercedes for us when we are too weak to cry out. These are promises that we have been reminded about. We have been brought from death to life to be strong in the Lord. Not merely just to survive. Not only to get by. But to understand that we are more than conquerors. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. We are doing more than just living in this moment. Right? We don't go about this life living under the mantra that you only live once so get what you can out of it. No, we are more than conquerors in this life so we live with great confidence in the gospel. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord. But notice this, he doesn't just say be strong in the Lord and move on. Think about this. For those of us, I was a journalism, journalism major in college. And when you're in journalism, they say don't overuse words. And it kind of drives my kids crazy because I have three girls. For those of you who know my children. And they love words. Right? For those of you who have been around my children, they love words. And even my two-year-old, she can use words. She never runs out of words. Like her vocabulary is ridiculous. And if she runs out of words, she can use the same ones over and over again. And so 
they, they, when you have, like, as guys, most of us, like, we just, we don't need to use that many words, right? Wives are like, yes, if my husband could speak a little bit more, we could, communication would be better. But what I'm learning with girls is, like, they can just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And even when they're asleep, they can talk and talk and talk. You, you can hear them on the monitor and they're still talking. You're like, go to sleep. And, and Whitney's like, they're asleep. And I'm like, they're talking. They're, they're asleep. But notice what Paul is doing here. So as a journalism major, the editor would have gone by and slashed this sentence in half. Why? Because he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Notice this, he, he, he repeats what he's saying here. Be strong in the strength. He's saying the same thing. But he's not wasting words here. He's putting emphasis on what he's saying. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. It, it might be important for us to understand what it means to be strong. It might be important for us to understand what it means to have the strength of his might. Friends, if we go back and remember ourselves, remember the depth and width of, his, of the teaching that Paul has given the church throughout this letter, we come to these words and we can realize that Paul is writing from the word finally. Paul is not running out of air here. He's not running out of breath, but rather he's moving us forward and preparing us for what lies ahead. So he's writing, be strong in the strength of the Lord. He's preparing us for what he knows lies ahead. He's preparing us for what battle that he knows is lurking forward. So we read these words, finally be strong in the strength. And we're reminded of the opening words of the letter to the church at Ephesus. Remember the context. So let's, let's flip back in our minds for just a moment. Remember the context of what he's writing to in Ephesians chapter 1. And, and this church at Ephesus, the body of believers that has grown quickly, the great influence of the community, so much so that their influence has also brought great persecution. Remember when they were growing so fast, their persecution increased greatly also. Why? Because the idol makers, remember they lived in a great iron-making community and they used their iron to make idols. The church was growing so fast that the iron makers were running out of business because they weren't making idols anymore. So what happens when you have that great economic impact on the community? Well, the community gets together and says, hey, we have to do something about what's happening here because they're, they're impacting our economic ability here. We have to get rid of these people who are proclaiming the gospel because when they're proclaiming the gospel, it's having a negative impact on our economic stability. And so the persecution ramps up here in Ephesus and the people start trying to bring harm and try to eliminate what's happening here. So we have a church who, whose pastor here is under arrest in Rome, being Paul, and a church in Ephesus who in their early years are struggling to maintain, looking for hope and purpose because they're under persecution by their neighbors, their friends, by the city, by those around them. We, we can read about all the persecution that happens in the end of Acts and throughout what we go through other historical records and we see that there's great persecution happening here. So Paul is ready to finally be strong in the strength of the Lord. And so we begin to see the context of what Paul is writing here. And Paul uses the opening words of chapter 1 to remind the church of who God is in relation to who they are. Remember the opening words of Paul here? He says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Now think about that for a second. Let's allow ourselves to be refreshed. These are the opening words to the church in Ephesus in this letter. Such important words for Paul is an apostle by the will of God. Then Paul is also a prisoner by the will of God. Right? If Paul is an apostle by the will of God, then Paul is a prisoner by the will of God. For nothing in this life is outside the sovereign hand of God. 
Think about that for a moment. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Paul, a prisoner by the will of God. Everything in this life is under the sovereign hand of God. For the next few paragraphs, Paul continues to remind the church and us that he's writing to the saints, the followers of Jesus, those whom are set apart, those whom God has chosen to display his justice and righteousness to the world. So saints that has a purpose to display the justice and righteousness of God to the world. So even while Paul may be a prisoner, they are not to lose heart. Even while they may be experiencing persecution and dysfunction, they are not to lose heart. Why? Why? We hear these words from chapter 1 and verses 4 and we read what Paul writes. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless for before him. In love, verse 5 he says, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will. Notice this, according to the purposes of his will. So let us remember these last words of verse 5. We have been adopted according to the purpose of his will. We have a purpose. We have a purpose. God has a plan. Regardless of our ability to see and understand it in the moment, God has a plan. Think about that for a moment. How often do we go about life and we think, I don't understand what's happening in my life. I don't understand why the circumstances are happening in my life. I don't understand why I'm going through, we might call it a valley, or why I'm going through a hard time, or why there's this cloud hovering over me, or why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing, or why I have this cancer, or why my family member's going through this, or why, 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 why. And we, we don't understand the circumstances which we're in. Friends, regardless of our ability to understand it in the moment, God has a plan. Right? God has a plan. God did not put us here to interpret his plans to the world, but God put us here to display his glory and righteousness to the world. Think about this from an Old Testament perspective. We are image bearers of the king, and we can look back and see the example of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Right? God brings them out of Egypt. The promises are going to the promised land. It takes them 40 years to get there. Right? You think about that 40 years. They didn't always understand the purpose of the 40-year journey, right? But God guiding them with the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. God providing for them food and water and everything they needed along the journey. God, they didn't understand that God was getting the slavery out of their hearts. That, that Not only were they not to be slaves in Egypt anymore, and God was taking them to the promised land, they didn't understand the heart problem that they were dealing with. Now, we can look at it and study it and say, God had their best intentions in mind, and God was about the business of getting the slavery out of their hearts. We can look at it today, and we can see it and say, God was showing and pouring out his love in them in a crazy, amazing, and loving, unending love type of way. But imagine with it, if you were walking through the desert for 40 years, at some moment, don't you believe you say, hey God, you took a wrong turn. The GPS told you the wrong direction. You know what I'm saying? Because even think about it, while they're on the journey, they, don't they start complaining in their bitterness saying it would be better for us to be slaves back in Egypt than be on this journey? God knew all along it was a process to get the slavery out of their hearts. So it's not our job to interpret the plan that God has for us or to interpret the journey that God has us on to figure out the plan. It's our job to worship. 
It's our job to trust. It's our, God to, it's our job to be about loving and displaying the justice and righteousness of God to all those we come in contact with. Friends, this morning, let us know this promise with great encouragement and great hope, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, in this very moment, sitting in this room. We are to be strong in the strength of the Lord. Because we have been adopted as saints. We are his children. This is not about how we can do life. This is not about how you and I can make life happen on our own. This is not about how we can come up with solutions. But about rather recognizing our adoption that is from our king. Now think about this. Wives, you can think about this as a a very positive thing. Because this is not about how your husband can come up with a solution to what's wrong in your family. Amen? Because if everything depended on your husband coming up with a solution, well, he still hadn't fixed the leaky pipes in the house. Or my wife would say, as I still haven't hung the bookshelf that I bought two, eight months ago, ten months ago. Or fix the light switch that's been broken for two years. This is confession because she'll be back on Wednesday, so I can't say this anymore without getting a scolding when I get home at lunch. But we think about that because if the plans depended on us and the solutions depended on us, then we're in a miserable state. But we can step back and realize we are strong in the strength of the Lord, knowing that it's not about how we do life, but it's about how and recognizing that our strength and our Ability to be strong comes from the power of our adoption. That's what we get our strength from. Paul reminds us of this promise in Ephesians chapter 1, reading in verse 16. In his prayer, Paul prays this for us. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, this was my, my favorite verse when we started this, this series. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named and not only in this age but also in the one that is to come. Hear this. So when we stop and think about what Paul is writing, be strong in the strength of the Lord. We go back to this and we go back to the promise that Jesus has given us in John chapters 14 and 15 to the reminder of the promise that Paul has given us here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16. The inheritance of the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe the power that, what? Raised Christ from the dead. And not only raised Christ from the dead, but seating him at the right hand of God in glory. That's the power that Paul is praying that we see. The power that Paul is praying that we realize that we have as inheritance. That's our inheritance. That's not something that we might get. That is our absolute inheritance. This is the strength of the Lord that we are to stand in. Friends, do you recognize the power and the strength that God has given us? It's not just some, oh, well, you have just a little bit. You might have to. No, we get the power that raised Christ from the dead. Think about that for a moment. Or even greater, when we go back to John 14, hear what Jesus says. And he says, in verse 15, he says, I will ask, or 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So even when you feel like, All the world is against you. Even when you feel like everything's falling apart, even when you feel like you can't take another step, he says, this helper will be with you forever. Verse 17. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be, does it say by you? Does it say next to you? No, it says he'll be in you. He will be in you, so be strong in the strength of the Lord. Friends, have we noticed that Paul writes this word twice? Remember this, be strong in the strength of the Lord. Honestly, because Paul knew that we might take this for granted, that when we struggled, that we would forget the greatness of the glory of the Spirit that is dwelling in us, the power of the gospel that is in us. This is not a fluke that Paul repeats this word. This is not about magic. This is not some Harry Potter type of moment here. This is not I Dream of Genie, for those of you who remember I Dream of Genie. This is the gospel. Y'all got that one. I watched that with my grandmother growing up. This is the gospel. This is the power that brought Jesus up out of the grave. This is what we get, friends. This is our inheritance. Hear this. Our strength is found in, one, the gospel. Our strength is found in the gospel. Our strength is found in the joy of our adoption. Our strength is found in the reality that we, too, will be raised with Christ. Okay, apparently y'all don't care about that one. Our strength is found in that we have not been left alone as orphans. Our strength is found in the joy in knowing that Christ has gone to prepare a place for us and is coming back for us. And our strength is found in the power that is in us through the Spirit. That is where our strength is. Our strength is not found in how strong we might can be or how strong we think we can be or how strong of a, of a persona we can present when we're going through hard times or how charismatic we might can be or, or whatever else we can conjure up in ourselves. Our strength is found in who we are in Christ. That is our strength. And so this should make us shout and dance, even as Baptists. This should give us great confidence, greater than anything we can know or understand, for we are certain that we will face trials. That is an absolute certainty. We will face trials. We will face sickness. We will face, we will face hard times. And we will die. A hundred percent of us in this room are going to die. Sorry if you're visiting with us this morning. I am sorry that you chose this. I haven't preached in two weeks. And so I've got two weeks of whatever this is built up in me. And it's just coming out. Come back to next Sunday and it may be gone a little bit. No promises. But we're going to die. If your doctor hasn't told you that already, come back to church and we'll tell you again. We're going to face persecution we're going to face attacks. We're going to be hated by the world. Because why? We're not like the world. We're doing things opposite of the world. So the world is not going to love us for it. And these are things are, that are certain for those who love Jesus. But get this. So we've heard the list of negatives. Get this though. We are assured that we have the power of the gospel and we have an exact replica of Jesus in us. So this is not some mystical thing. This is not some mystery. This is an absolute promise from God. And he will not leave us as orphans, but he will be with us forever and we will be with him forever. So we will die, but we will not die but to this life. We will live with him forever. So we say bring on death. That's a good thing. It is but a step into eternity with the king. So death is but 
a breath that we take. It is nothing more than breathing in air and breathing out into eternal presence with God himself. So for all of us sitting in this room, if we love Jesus, death isn't nothing but a thing. It is but entering in, opening the door into the presence of God himself. And we say, okay, if that's the worst that can happen, that is the best thing that can happen in our life. Because he will be with us forever because he did not leave us as orphans, but he has gone to prepare a place for us. So this is not meant to be a hokey type of sermon because I've been off for two weeks, but rather to remind us and to point us to the promise that we have in the gospel. In chapter 5 and chapter 6, the message that Paul has given to the church has been a message of submitting for the glory of the gospel so that the world may see the kingdom. It has been about submitting to leaders in the church about how we submit to each other in order to edify each other and to remind each other of the gospel so that when we come upon hard times, when we deal with cancer, when we deal with sickness, when we deal with the loss of a child or the loss of a loved one, we are pointing each other towards home. So we submit to each other in love. We sing hymns, right? We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. We sing songs of worship to edify, not only to worship and lift high God, but to edify each other. So we're pointing each other towards home. So when we struggle with hard times, we're edifying each other in the gospel. So we submit. We submit. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love their wives. Children submit to parents. Employees submit to their employers. And, and the previous point in Ephesians, and we see right here in this moment, the message is not changing in verse 10 of chapter 6, Right? The message of submission has not ended at verse 10. This is not some, when we get to the word finally, Paul has said, okay, we're going to a different subject. No, he's saying now we corporately, we submit to God. And you say, how do you get to that? Well, think about this for a moment. When we live, especially in a Western American society, we're the self-made people. We reach for the American dream. We're a do-it-yourself type of culture. I mean, we used to have bookstores, and when you used to go to a bookstore, all those yellow, I think they're yellow, I'm colorblind, but all those yellow-covered books that says do-it-yourself. Everything we're about is doing it yourself, do-it-yourself remodeling, all that type of stuff. It's how we can be our best self, how we can do these things. But what we see here in chapter 6, verse 10 is, it carries forward. It's about how we submit to God, how we're not doing this ourselves, but how we are strong, but how we are strong in what? There's a qualifier after the comma, how we are strong in what? We're not strong in ourselves. We're not strong in our own might. This is not a bodybuilding contest here. I sure wouldn't win it, but it's not a bodybuilding contest here. I know, thanks for the applause here. Um, but it's not a bodybuilding, but we're strong in what? The qualifier in the strength of the Lord. We're strong because we submit to him. We're strong because we depend on him. We're strong because we believe in the gospel. We're strong because we rely in, trust in, and depend on him as our strength. Not on any of us. We don't depend on each other. You don't depend on me. We don't depend on our spouses, on our children. We don't depend on our banks or on the economy. We depend on God. So we submit to him. So in this moment, we see that we are not independent, but we are dependent on and we are submitting to God. We are trusting in him. We are leaning on him. Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is one of those bulletin board type of verses, but it's not meant to be. This is meant to be a truth that we live on and live through because we trust in him, not just for those well, what am I going to eat for lunch type of things? Or not just for those hard moments, but we trust in him in all things and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and hear this and turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. So when we trust, when we worship, 
when we love rightly, the promise we have is that we are made. Hear this. When we trust, when we worship, when we love rightly, the promise we have is that we are made more than conquerors. Not because we can do it, not because we can think of it, not because we can conjure up an idea to solve our problems and our dysfunction, but because we trust, we worship, and we love. And Paul writes in Romans 8, we are made more than conquerors. Hear this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall be, bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, or who indeed is interceding for us? Hear, this, hear these words, perhaps the most important words in this whole section. Who indeed is interceding for us? It's not us. Who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Y'all need some energy drinks. We are to be strong in the strength of the Lord. These are not empty words, but rather the promise of the gospel that when we lean into him, we don't have to worry about the things of this world. We don't have to worry about the tertiary things of this life, but rather we come under the promise that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers or things present or things to come nor the powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the, from the gospel, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we remember that we are not living, friends, we are not living for the next 10 years. We are not living for the next 30 years or even the next 80 years. Rather, we are living for the next million plus infinity years. So we are not to be consumed with finances. We are not to be consumed with climbing the corporate ladder. We are not to be consumed with pushing our kids to excel and whatever that blank is that you want your kids to be best at. We are not to be pursuing the greatest house or the whatever that idol is that we so easily can be ensnared with or tempted to, but rather we live the life to which we have been called. We live for the new life. Paul reminded us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt 
through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, have a put away falsehood. Let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Friends, we submit to God in worship. We submit to God in love, knowing that our strength is found in him, knowing that the gospel, we have peace during trials, the dark days and the pain, knowing that in the gospel, we have a God who is always with us, the exact replica of Christ dwelling within us, knowing that in the gospel, we have the power of God who brought Christ from the grave and seated him on the throne. And it is in this that we trust the gospel and that we can yearn in confidence for the coming advent, knowing with absolute confidence that the words of Christ are true and they are good. And so we don't go about the old way of life. We don't go about walking in the old ways of folly of the world, but we go about walking together, knowing that we are in this together. So we go about edifying and loving and lifting each other up and pointing each other towards the kingdom, knowing that we are in this battle together and we will face hard times, we will face lament together, but we will have the promise that we read in Revelation 21 where John writes the words, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was sitting on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So we can face trials and we can face lament and we can face death and we can face sickness and we can face pain and we can face everything that we endure in this life and we can do this together knowing the promise of Revelation 21 is good and it is absolute because God is a God who keeps his promises and he does not turn his back on his children regardless of how often we turn our backs on our God. He does not turn his backs on us. That's why we stand strong in the strength of the Lord and not stand strong on the strength of Chad or stand strong on the strength of our husbands or on our wives or our children. Because why? Because we turn our backs on God and we are sinners. But he does not turn his back on us and he is absolute and he keeps his promises and his promises are absolute and they are good. And we are yearning forward to the kingdom that is to come. So friends, as we consider this week what the implications of Ephesians 6 verse 10 has for us, let us be keenly aware that God has not placed us here to passively let the time go by, to live our lives and patiently wait for our certain death. No, the words of this chapter, the promises of Jesus ensure that we are being sent into battle actively. We're being actively sent into battle. This is not a, a let go and let God type of moment. Actually, those words are never in Scripture. Rather, we find God equipping and sending his people into battle from the very beginning when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden and equipped them to rule over it. He placed them to expand the kingdom of heaven here. He says, this is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. He says, let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. We see that Adam and Eve are placed here as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven to display the justice and righteousness of God on earth. He placed them here when he says to rule over it. He, we see 
from the very beginning that we are placed in the battle and we see the examples in Adam and Eve and Moses and Joshua and David and Gideon and Esther and Jonah and the apostles and Timothy. And we could literally list on and on and on and there's not enough time. We could be here until tomorrow or the end of the week because when God has redeemed the people, he sends them out into the work of the kingdom. And we think about the words, be strong in the strength of the Lord. It's not some weightlifting competition, but rather it is so that we can step into the battle, so that we can recognize the place in which God has prepared for us to step into the battle. It is an active response to step into the battle. We are to be strong so that we are ready to join the forces, so that we can be found faithful. We remember the parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, which we spoke of in depth a few weeks ago. The parable of the talents. When the master goes off and gives the servants talents and expects them to, to be faithful with their work. Friends, the question that we must ask ourselves is, are we being found faithful when he returns? Will we be, have been found faithful? Are we being slothful? Are we being lazy? Are we slouching back and just thinking somebody else will take care of it? The message for us is for all of us, is no matter our current station of life that we find ourselves in, is God has prepared us and equipped us for the mission. He's equipped us for the battle that lies ahead. We are being sent knowing. This is the absolute truth that we need to remember. We are being sent knowing that the war has been won. We don't have to be strong in the strength of the Lord and question what the outcome is going to be. We have been sent knowing that the war has been won, knowing that the victory is the Lord's. So let us join in triumphantly in the battle, standing in the strength of the Lord. So followers of Jesus, friends, where are we in this spectrum this morning? What is clouding our lives that we have either tried to stand on our own strength or that we have tried to make ourselves strong or either that we have bowed out of the battle for we don't, one, think we're capable, don't think we're able, or that we have just decided that this battle was not ours to fight, that somebody else would take care of it for us. Because if God is sovereign, God is gonna take care of it. Friends, God is sovereign. God has placed us to be responsible. Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? I am with you always, even to the end. He sends us into the battle and tells us the promise that he's going to be with us. Why? Because the battle is not going to be easy. The same is true in John 14 and 15. When he says, I am going, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a greater helper, an exact replica of myself who's going to be with you always, even to the end. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. He's sending us out into the battle. He's preparing us to go. And Paul reminds us here in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, even in the midst of great persecution, even in the greats, in the midst of not quite understanding what's going on, he says, be strong in the strength of the Lord. Do not try to figure this thing out. Do not try to figure out a better economic situation for the city of Ephesus. Do not try to come up with your own way of making this happen. Be strong in the strength of the Lord and stand in the confidence and the, the glory of the gospel. 
So brothers and sisters in this room today, are we standing in the confidence of the gospel this morning, knowing that it's by the grace of the gospel that we've been saved, it's by the confidence of the gospel that we've been saved, and we are to call to be faithful. Friends, maybe you don't know the gospel. Maybe you haven't been redeemed. Hear the gospel this morning and know the confidence of the gospel and submit your lives to God, knowing it is through faith in Christ that we are redeemed. Not by something that you can do for yourself, not by some other scheme that you can be saved, but it's by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are redeemed. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. <clears throat> This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Let's pray together this morning.